And now, Father, we ask for your Spirit to take the word which you have spoken. And we ask that you would open our minds to receive it. We ask that you would soften our hearts to to be shaped by it. We ask that you would prepare us to respond in repentance and in faith and in obedience and in love. Lord, above all this morning, I pray that this group of people would see Christ, see His salvation, and be filled with awe and wonder and humility and hope. Lord, I pray that if there be any present sin, unrepented and dominating in our lives, that you would bring it to bear so that we could repent and be delivered. I pray where there is hardness of heart, you would soften. I pray where there is unbelief, you would give faith. I pray where there are those in this room who are apart from you that you would save. Lord, we know that that we speak. We know that we read. We know that we pursue, but we know that you do the work of saving. You do the work of healing. You do the work of molding and shaping. You do the work of bringing change. So Father, we're looking to you and we're crying out, would you work in power today? today in this room, for these people. Lord, we ask all of this in hope, and we ask it all in faith, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at Redeemer, our mode of preaching and teaching is to work through books of the Bible. And so um, we are working through the book of 1 Peter. So I'd encourage you to grab a Bible or however you read along on your smart device. Um, Turn off Amazon, but, but get your Bible out. And um, turn over to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. I am loving so much how God is teaching me through this book of the Bible, and I pray the same for us all. These verses, which Lori just read for us, I I feel like I could probably preach about nine sermons from them. And um, those of you that know me, that's probably a scary thing because I'm about to try to tackle it all this morning. And um, we'll see how it goes. But I'll do my best to get us out of here before, I don't know, say 2.30, 3 o'clock today. Um, I haven't preached in three weeks, so I feel like i got a lot like built up, ready to roll. Um, so with that, I, I should say thank you to Stephen Carlson, one of our elders here, and to um, my friend Danny Parmalee, who filled in last week uh, for preaching God's Word with faithfulness. I appreciate you, brothers, and and thankful for you. Our sermon this morning is entitled, um, Our Posture in the World. Our Posture in the World. And by posture, what I mean is that, that disposition and that mental framework that we bring to a situation. So those of you guys who are married... You might know that if, um, if ever there were to be an argument in your home, that if you bring a posture of humility and a posture of teachability, it's usually possible to work through the tension relatively quickly, correct? But if you bring a posture of, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to prove it to you, or a posture of, 
I know that I would never, ever be wrong, you might have a little tension, right? Here's another one, leaders. We all know leaders, we have bosses, we have employers, we have leaders in politics, we have leaders in the church. When leaders approach their task of leading from a posture of humility and service, people feel served and are eager to follow, right? But when those same leaders approach their task from a posture of authority and a posture of I have a position and you need to serve me, often things go sideways. So I think the reality that we see in this passage is that our posture as the people of God when we look into the world is a really important part of how we think about the world, how the world thinks about us, and the glory that God does or doesn't get through His church. So I want to say that one more time. Our posture when we approach the world, and by the world I mean that piece of our earth that, that is not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, so that outside the church, our posture toward the world will affect our attitude toward the world, how the world views the gospel, and how much glory God doesn't or doesn't get through us whom He's redeemed. In this passage, Peter not only speaks of posture, but he goes a step further. He prescribes a posture for us in the world. And I wonder if this might be a little surprising to some of us. Peter's going to say that we need to see ourselves as strangers and aliens who don't make this world our home. Peter's going to say that we need to see ourselves as those who are called to exercise our freedom through the gospel to bear fruit for the glory of God, to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, to honor the emperor. Peter's going to say that we should posture ourselves to subject ourselves to authority, not rail against it. Peter's going to use that phrase that should always get our attention. This is the will of God. So what I want to say this morning is, Peter, and through Peter, God has a vision for how we should posture ourselves in his world, how we should approach his world, how we should approach our living. And it's not one of triumphalism. It's not one of being superior to. It's not one of bludgeoning people to be like us, but it's one of humble service that seeks the Lord and seeks to honor the institutions that the Lord has created. And it even seeks to be honorable in less than honorable circumstances. At least it was the Bible (laughs) and not Amazon. But we're not in Titus 2. All right, 
So, all that sounds good, but is that actually what Peter is saying? So, my note-taking friends, our first point this morning, if we want to think about how we posture ourselves in this world, our first point, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look with me at the end of this passage. Look at verse 21 and following. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So if you like to mark in your Bible, I would underline leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now hear the weight and the gravity of what Peter is saying. Our faith is built upon Jesus. Our faith is built on something that Jesus did for us that we could not do for ourselves. Our faith is built upon something that Jesus did for us that no one else could do for us. He bore our sins in his body. He saved the straying sheep, that's us, so that we could be shepherded and led and cared for by him. Jesus yielded his life at great cost and great suffering so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be set aside, (coughs) so that we could be made the children of God, so that God would count us as his sheep and his One of his purposes in the world would be to care for us and to guide us and to nurture us. This, friends, is good news. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus forgives the unforgivable. Jesus heals the broken. Jesus loves and cares for that which otherwise would have been cast off. We are spiritually healed through Jesus. And so as Christians, we always look to Jesus. Always. There is never a moment in this life or in the life to come where it would be the will of God for us to stop looking to Christ and delighting in His salvation. Never a moment. So if you're here today, I just want to put this out early. 
kind of considering Christianity, considering the claims of Christ, considering the Bible, considering this church, let me be very clear. We at Redeemer Church believe we are a bunch of messed up people. Apart from the grace of God, we would be evil and wretched. But we also believe that by the blood of Jesus, we've been forgiven, we've been transformed, and we've been made new. We believe that the Spirit of God dwells within us to make us different than we used to be. The hope of the gospel, the hope of the New Testament, the hope of the church, the hope of Redeemer Church is that Jesus Christ saves and saves totally and saves fully and makes old things new and makes sinful things holy and makes the forgotten loved and remembered and cared for. That is our hope. And someone should say amen and celebrate the acoustics of this building. Now, if our hope is always in looking outside of ourselves toward a Savior who did for us what we can never do for ourselves, then do you see that that begins to shape our posture? Our posture is never we're awesome. It can't be because the gospel says we're sinful. Our posture is never we're morally superior because our message of salvation says we're rebels against God. Our posture can never be, we've got it all together, and if you'll vote like me, live like me, and do what I do, you'll be awesome too, because we're broken and messed up. But Jesus enters into that and makes new creation. So you see how the gospel begins to shape our posture in the world? Not begins, but how it does shape our posture in this world. Jesus died for us so that we could be like Christ. But not only do we look to Christ to see our salvation, but this passage tells us to look to Christ to find our disposition in this world. Verse 21, Christ left you an example so that you might follow in His steps. When? When it's convenient? No. When? When it's just? No. When? When I want to? No. Always, we look to Christ as our Savior and we recognize that in saving us, He left us an example for how to navigate this world. And it is to humble ourselves and do what is glorifying to God even in the face of great injustice. In verses 18, 19, 20, 21 and following, Peter is actually telling slaves to honor their unjust masters as a way to show (coughs) the grace of God at work in them. Now let's be really clear about a few things. The Bible does not, N-O-T, condone slavery as it was practiced in the United States. The Bible does not condone 
setting up categories of people where one group of people only exist to serve the needs of another group of people. But without condoning it, in the face of calling it unjust, Peter says, it brings great glory to God when you're suffering under the hand of a tyrannical master to still choose to show honor as a way to honor the God who saves the unsavable. <coughs> Troy, there are some waters in that kitchen. Or thank you, Beth. You've been one up to Troy. <coughs> I'm sorry for the interruption. So Peter goes so far as to say, when you don't feel like you ought to show honor, look to Jesus. Because he was sinless and was without sin and was without flaw and was without error. And he suffered like a sinner without fighting back, without arguing back, without trying to get his own honor in that moment. Peter says, look to Jesus. So I don't know what you think about the whole WWJD phenomenon. What would Jesus do? Here's what I know. WWJD will never earn you anything before God. You cannot earn your salvation. Period. But as a child of God, Peter's saying, look to Jesus. And when Jesus humbled himself, that's a model. Humble yourself. When Jesus quieted himself, that's a model. Quiet yourself. When Jesus showed deference to the unjust, that's a model. Show deference to the unjust as a way to bring glory to the power of the gospel at work in you. So Christian, our posture in this world is one of always looking to Jesus. If you feel far from God today, my application question for you is, are you actively looking to Jesus? Who he was, what he did, and what he has done for you. If you're feeling stale in your faith today, are you actively looking to Jesus? Who he was, what he did, and what he has done for us. If you're stuck in the throes of sin today and you don't know the way out, are you actively looking to Jesus? Who He was, what He did, and what He has done for us. We are only posturing ourselves correctly when we're looking to Jesus. I want you to hear verses 24 and 25 again as a balm for your soul. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you hear that good news this morning? 
Christ has taken away our sin. We were straying, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer who will eternally care for our souls. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, let me invite you. This is the invitation. The scripture says, like all of us, you're straying, but the lamb has died so that you can return to the shepherd. Will you return to the shepherd today? Will you return to the shepherd today? Christians always look to Jesus. Second point, our place in this world. Our place in this world. I want to kind of go WWE here and say know your role, but I don't know anything else about WWE, so I went with our place in this world. But the reality is, Peter seems to believe that if we think about our place in this world correctly, we will be more likely to posture ourselves in a Christ-exalting way. Again, if you think that your home exists to serve all your needs and make you happy all the time, then how you think about your place in your home is going to affect your posture toward your family, correct? If you think that the purpose of the grocery store is to give you everything you want exactly how you want it and exactly the price that you want it with with no frustration at checkout, then you're going to find yourself in a posture of perpetual anxiety and frustration, right? If you think that your position on the roadway is for everyone to quickly get out of your way and let you do whatever you want to, however you want to, then you're going to find that your posture toward your fellow drivers is always one of anxiety and tension and frustration, right? So what we think of our position and our place affects how we posture ourselves. Peter gives us two words to describe our place in this world. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. The place of a Christian in this world is one of a sojourner and an exile. Sojourner means a foreigner residing among a people who are not his own. So a sojourner is a foreigner residing among a people who are not his own. An exile is a synonym of a sojourner, but someone who has been pushed away from their home, not by choice. So if you were to think of a refugee from, say, Somalia, who, say, lives on Nolensville Road in, say, Nashville, Tennessee, that is a great description of a sojourner and an exile. And Peter says that as followers of Jesus... In this fallen world, our place is that of sojourner and exile. 
And you might be going, yeah, yeah, I know that, but, but listen, we're sold so many bills of goods that try to convince us that Christians aren't sojourners and exiles. When we think of our workplace, do we think of sojourners and exiles, or do we think everyone should be exactly like me? When we think of children's athletics in the community, do we approach it like sojourners and exiles, or do we approach it thinking that everybody should be just like me? When we think of politics and we think of our city and our state and our nation, do we think of it as sojourners and exiles? Or do we think of it that everyone should be just like me? I think the status that we ascribe to ourselves will drastically affect how we think about ourselves in our world, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our schools, in our workplaces, and everywhere we go. Peter says, you're a sojourner and you're in exile. This world will never be our home. This world will never satisfy our souls in the way that Jesus can. This world will never satisfy our souls the way an eternity where there is no sin, there is no rebellion against God, there is no voice who is followed except the word of the Lord itself. This world can never, ever, ever provide us with that. We are sojourners and exiles in this world world. And I don't want to be divisive here. I don't want to speak beyond where the Scripture speaks. But in this world, we will never vote in the kingdom of God. Ever. Ever. In this world, we will never create a little utopia where Christians don't feel like sojourners and exiles. Because God works through sojourners and exiles who are radically dependent upon His grace, who display the power of His saving mercy. Our place in this world is a place of sojourner and exile. So think how out of place that Somalian refugee who doesn't speak the language, has never used indoor plumbing, has never been to a grocery store, has never had air conditioning, has never cooked food that didn't start with its skin on before they killed it, has never been to a grocery store in general, think how much of a sojourner and an exile that person might feel like. And I believe that that's what Peter says we should feel when we follow after Jesus in this broken world. We should feel like sojourners and exiles. And friends, if we're sojourners and exiles, then we need the church more than we could ever fathom. 
I'm moving to application here. If we're sojourners and exiles, then we need the church more than we could ever fathom because the church is the place where yielding to the glory of God and professing faith in Christ is the entry point. The church is the place where saying, I belong to Jesus and his ways will be my ways is the beginning point. The church is a group of people who in covenant with one another say, we will be sojourners and exiles together to pursue the glory of God as laid out in the Scripture. Our place in this world is always one of sojourner and exile. So if we look to Jesus and we recognize our place, how then do we posture ourselves? What's our posture in this world? And in short, our posture in this world is love, honor, and appropriate fear. Love, honor, and appropriate fear. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, verse 18, be subject to your masters. Everyone, verse 13, be subject to the Lord's sake for every, for, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or to governors. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what is the fruit of the gospel of Jesus in the heart of a Christian when we look at our lives in the world? Peter says, let it be appropriate honor, appropriate love, appropriate fear, and appropriate yielding to authority over us. Let's look at those in turn. Honor. Honor means to serve, to yield to, and to respect. And we're told that we're to serve and respect and yield to the emperor. We're told that we're to honor everyone. We're told that we're to keep our conduct honorable. Why? Why? Peter says that the way we live in this world will either testify to our sin or to the power of God's grace to give us hearts of service and yielding to others. So verse 12, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're just going to. They would see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. Verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So Peter says, Christians who know Jesus, who've been freed from your sin, who know that God is with you, live in this world in such a way that you honor everyone, that you honor the emperor, that you honor human institution, that you honor the governor, that you honor the government right up until the point that it causes you to sin against God. Be honorable. Why? Because we recognize that God is the authority and we're not. We recognize that God set up authority in this world for our good and His glory and we will yield to authority for the glory of God. I think one of the worst postures that Christians and churches take is when we posture ourselves like We're God's people and you're going to honor us instead of we're God's people. And our praise and our affirmation comes from the Lord so we can honor the authorities that are in our world. So let's get to some a little tangible here. Peter says, honor everyone. Everyone. That neighbor who kept you up past midnight last night, blaring music, stomping on the floor, and waking your babies. You can go have an honorable conversation with him, but honor him. The public figure that, that cuts against what you believe in the most, as much as they're not asking you to sin, honor them. Be people who honor others because we don't have to squeeze our honor out of this world. Peter says, love the brotherhood. Love the people of God. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't just honor them, but move into love. Genuine, lasting care and concern. Because as strangers and exiles, we need the brotherhood, and the brotherhood needs us. And then Peter says, fear God. Fear is honor that moves into worship. Fear is honor that moves into worship. And so Peter says, only God is worthy of worship. So our posture in this world, honor, love, and fear appropriately. Because we understand who we are, what Christ has done for us and what God is calling us to do. Now to conclude, why does all of this matter? 
Because in verse 12, we want the world to look upon us and glorify God, not revile God. Verse 15, we want the way we live to silence criticisms of the gospel of Jesus. Verse 16, we don't want to cover up evil, but we want to serve God in how we live. Verse 20, we want to endure hardship in a way that shows that the power of God is at work in us. So our posture in this world, our mental framework, our decision-making moral compass is one of always looking to Jesus for strength, for power, for grace, and for the way forward. And it's one of recognizing that we are always sojourners and exiles, and one of existing to honor and love and serve and fear God in this world. So, in conclusion, this world never exists to serve me, my purposes, or to exalt me. And if I approach the church, my family, a club that I'm a part of, an activity that I'm a part of, the political sphere that I'm in, if I approach that for it to serve and exalt me, I will always be disappointed and angry and frustrated. But if I can enter into all of those realms, seeing that I exist to serve and to honor and to yield and to and to show the power of God at work in me, then I can take all of my hurt and all of my disappointment and I can use it all for the glory of God. So church, Christians, friends, here's the question. What posture will you carry with you into your workplace tomorrow? What posture will you carry into your home this afternoon? What posture will you carry into your neighborhood association meeting on Tuesday night? What posture will you carry onto Hip Hendersonville in just a moment? What posture will you portray on Facebook this evening? What posture are you portraying on Snapchat? Chap Snapchat right now. I know it disappeared while I was fumbling over that. But so often, the posture that we portray is one of anger, one of frustration, one of bitterness, one of hatred for all the things in the world that we don't agree with. And I think Peter would challenge all of us to flip that portrayal upside down because Jesus has radically changed who we are. And because if our salvation is as thorough as we believe it is, we don't have to squeeze 
out of the world affirmation and honor and exaltation, but we can carry ourselves as sojourners and exiles who are always pointing and looking to the grace of God in Christ. So Father, I pray now that you would come and you would teach your people how to walk with you in this world. Father, I pray you would set us free from all the places where we have a posture that's not consistent with what's here in the Scripture. And I pray that it would be the cross of Jesus that would always shape us and always shape how we carry ourselves in your world. Father, you are a good God. And we're so thankful for who you are. And we're so thankful for your kindness and your mercy to us in Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.